Gen AI will be something that stimulates us to improve. Because if I come with an idea that also a computer can, can come up with, then I need to work harder. That's the starting point. And from there, I can rework. Hi, everyone. I'm Greg Stewart, CEO of MMA Global, international nonprofit industry body for CMOs, who is architecting the new future of marketing. I'm Rex Briggs, an artificial intelligence researcher, author, and entrepreneur. And this is Decoding AI for Marketing. So, Greg, I'm going to start with the iconic ad from BW that we all know, the Lemon ad for Volkswagen. So I'll ask you, what was so magical about it? You know, listen, it was very funny. In fact, I got into the business by reading David Ogilvie's books. You know, like I, I saw that. I saw this kind of advertising conversation that existed about BW during this sort of height of creative. It was, it was the age of creative in, the, in around the 60s or so. And I'm not even sure you've seen Rex, but there was a series of other headlines they did. And I know this because my family owned a lot of Volkswagens. But it says, it's ugly, but it gets you there. Okay. Uh, the other one was, if you run out of gas, it's easy to push. I mean, these do not feel, these do not feel like headlines to sell cars. And yet, it, you know, Volkswagen did an amazing job here in, in America and beyond. Yeah, you know, I remember the one where it was uh, a lot of white space in this tiny, tiny, tiny little tiny car, Volkswagen right. Beetle Bug. And, and it really, it, it broke the mold in many ways, right? And I think that that's something that makes great marketing and advertising is when you go outside of the formula, you surprise people, you get their attention, maybe you knock them off their feet, it's memorable. And it's that ability to do something that Carlo Ferrari says AI just can't do do. Mm. He's a bit of a skeptic, mm. so it'll be fun to, for you to spar with him because I know you have some different points of view. I might actually agree with him on some of these points, by the way. Carlo Ferrari is the global content lead at Sanofi Consumer Healthcare, joining us from London this time. Sanofi is a pharmaceutical company and Carlo is in charge of all owned media in the consumer healthcare space, meaning things the company is allowed to advertise around. He supports all the organization's global brands in creating content for their website, on social media, and in campaigns. One of the big challenges he faces is sticking out in a relatively conservative business, and he's looking to move faster and push more boundaries. So let's kick off our conversation as he answers the question, does AI set a low bar for marketers and creatives? Now AI gets every marketer at the same starting points. And we rely a lot of, also on agencies. We partner with a lot of big creative agencies around the world. And sometimes when we get out the brief, the first thing I do is to check what AI gets us on the same brief. And I'm expecting the agency to come with options that A, are different, and B, are better. Because otherwise, literally a robot could do a job, and that's not what we want. Really, we really want. And not just from a very conservative point of view, but really to push the boundaries of creativity and to create an emotion to our consumers. I'm Italian, so emotions play a big part of the role. But Carlo, that doesn't sound like a pharmaceutical company, by the way. I don't I don't think I would have heard that kind of language. They tend to like to keep you a little sort of contained, you know, a painting inside the lines, maybe, so to speak. So I don't know. I guess, you know, why are you looking at different... Carlo cannot be contained. <laughs> Carlo cannot be contained. <laughs> No, we're not, we're not here to cause trouble. <laughs> You're really pushing creativity. Maybe give an example about the things that you aim for, how you work with your team to maybe do that, just so people have an anchor, what you're saying around that. 
so let's say that on I'll be very operative and I hope that everybody can get this example. So when we work on social media, a lot of the content that we used to create on social media was not social media native content, but were just cuts of the campaigns uh, that we, we shot for TV. So now what we, we enter into a new routine of building content that is native for the channel. And we are far from being Unilever or, you know, such great companies that are leaders in that space. We still have a huge way to go, but we're trying to evolve that. And we're trying to be relevant to our consumers on, on all the spaces, on all the channels with the right tone of voice. It sounds like you want to be different and you want to be like you're aspiring to that Volkswagen. And the challenge with large language models is that they're specifically designed to predict the next word. They're specifically designed for coherence so that you get what you expect. And that kind of runs counter to your idea of doing something surprising. Now, I think it's possible to kind of move the levers a little bit on how things are weighted. There's a, a temperature score, for example, in open AI systems, so you can get something that's more emotional or more emotive. But it sounds like that you're struggling with that limitation, and that's some of your critique or concern, or tell me more about that. Well, the campaign level, the big idea level, is managed by my manager and a very high chain of commands, and they work directly with agencies. I'm much involved into the like into the database in the social media and something a, a bit more below the line. But when it's about creating assets that have that uh, apologize for the abused word, disruptive or that can be surprising, Gen AI usually is not the best way or not the easiest route to follow. I found Gen AI excellent in building a content calendar in doing the very boring part of the job that helps me remember all the nuances, all the parts that I don't really like doing, and they take away a lot of time. But when it comes to the last mile, when it comes to creating an emotion in our consumers or a connection that is human, then is where the human side must come and step in. I believe that Genia is not at that level quite yet. You know, I don't know that Rex and I would dramatically disagree with your point that, you know, it's just going to give you what the world has already agreed is okay. And you're asking for it to go beyond what the world knows today. I guess maybe I'd ask you, and, and, and listen, we can certainly talk about AI's efficiencies. I think we'll probably, you know, we should spend some time on that, assuming that's partly why you're doing it. But I think the key question here maybe for the listener today is, do you think it can at some point go to the next level? Do you think there's a way? I mean, Rex mentioned a trick there that might help adjust that. Do you do you, do you see a world that it does get there? And, and also, too, it's recognizing it's changing pretty dramatically, pretty quickly. It's changed at a speed that is really incredible, and it's amazing to see this this progress. I think that if we would ever get to the stage where a campaign where generative artificial intelligence could surprise us probably we would have tamed it before because we like this still to be a bit controlled so i don't think we will get up to there i think that the human connection will always have the privilege on the last mile but it it depends where we set the last mile to be we can push the boundaries and it's it's great to do on a on a day-to-day -day side with gen ai so it never becomes creative 
it never becomes creative in a way that can surprise creativity is i think it's being counterintuitive mm. it's like those diesel genes campaign that says be stupid now gen ai could create something like this because it could be based upon something that already existed but will they be able to deliver the next thumb stopping groundbreaking creativity rex what do you think you're the guy who knows the tech is it going to happen I think it's such an interesting debate point. I mean, really what yeah. we know about large language models is they're good at interpolating. They're not great at extrapolating. But you can train large language models to tell dad jokes. And a joke inherently is based upon that element of surprise. And it gets decent at dad jokes. But you raise a really interesting point, which is we don't want a lot of our large language models to be completely surprising. It would not be good if you asked your favorite <laughs> agent to help book a trip to New York, which I have to do next week. And instead, I ended up in Havana. The, the machines run amok. They say, yeah, you need time no, in Florida, don't buddy. surprise me. Yeah, exactly. I, I've seen your stress levels. I'm making this decision for I, you. I'm going to rearrange. Surprise. You shouldn't be going to New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that you're right, but you're also really fascinating because the research on the human brain through some work at Stanford uh, with music showed that our brain delights when the drum beat doesn't fit the same pattern, when there's a note that's off of where what we expected it to be. And so I think you're onto something, which is that that is that human part to be able to surprise and delight that maybe still keeps some of those human jobs around for a while. But I do think that you might be able to program, if you train it with enough, just like you can train it with jokes, it might learn to be able to do those things that surprise us in ways that uh, we don't expect it to do today. I'm sure. And I believe this will help us collectively just become better. Because at this stage, Gen AI will be something that stimulates us to improve. Because if I come with an idea that also a computer can, can come up with, then oh, I need to work harder. That's the starting point. And from there, I can rework. I love technology and I love innovation because it makes us, it takes everything to a different level and it can take us to a better level we might be able to have something that surprises us today in 2023. Maybe we have next year, but maybe next year we are thinking already in a different way. Right. When they release chat GPT-6, which I've never even heard about yet, I think just five is coming next. Hey, Carl, a little bit, what are you doing internally? So, I mean, is AI infused in everything that you're doing across everything, content? Are there limitations to that? How have you started to operationalize this? Start to tell us about how you're trying to make it work. You know, because listen, everybody's here listening to hear how is somebody else trying to make it happen so they can somewhat follow suit. We work in a heavily regulated industry. Yep. All of our content gets checked not only on a very subtle way from our medical, legal, and regulatory teams, but quite often it also gets checked by Ministry of Health or external boards. So the, we, we live in an environment where creativity is hard to push because of its natural boundaries, because it's, it's still considered by a few people that work in it, but mostly from the outside of the world, it's still considered pharma, despite we're trying, moving out from it, this idea. And the fact is that what we have also regulations that recommend us not to input too much of our data into these models. So when working, uh, I wouldn't be able to ask the model to calculate, I don't know, the gross margin if I put in some sales data, because that would, it's, it's not something that we want to share 
with a model where its privacies and legal boundaries are still, don't want to say unknown, but still to be debated and to be fully discovered. So there are some limitations. On an operative base, it's still great for ideation, for storyboarding, and it's a day-to-day use of it that can improve, that can help us think about something, something better. And usually we must not use brand names. We must not share any sensible data. And it's very important that we keep it separate. So if I need to have a think, thinking about something, for a content calendar idea, I'm going to do it with my personal laptop, with my personal account, not mentioning any of the brand, not mentioning any specificity. Right. It's interesting how conservative companies are because for the most part, the large language models have been clear that even in the public version, they are not using the chats themselves to train themselves. Of course, when we saw that, Google accidentally released a bunch of the chats that had been shared with other people, and they ended up in search engines. And then, you know, they very quickly pulled that back and said, that was a mistake, (laughs) accident, sorry. So I understand you being careful, but the general policies that I'm seeing in a lot of large corporations is bringing a large language model in-house in your own server so that you can do more of that work. Is that been part of the discussion or is that something that you're advocating so that you can lean more into it? Carlo, what are you doing? Are you just using ChatGPT to supplement your work? Have you built an LLM in-house that you can sort of really run copy through it? Is this a machine? Yeah. Where are you going? I'm using it to supplement my work and not even always. So whenever it's about going to details about product names or sensitive data about our products or about our brands, I'm leaving that part out just because that's what the regulations are. I think that building an internal model would really help us play in a safer space because even even not just when it's about pure creation, but even when it's about checking that some data is correct for starting from some sources, because every content that we, we can create must be related to a scientific source. So everything that we say is, in fact, scientifically true. And so there is a huge work of research. And when we work with external partners, and this is a gray area, kind of, when we work with external partners, we can ask them if they're using GPT, we can give them some directions. And but we don't really know what is happening over there. I mean, we know because we trust our partners when they say no. But technically, if a copywriter was was looking for inspirations, would we know this for sure? There's no way to, it's just building great trust with your partners to avoid that they break the regulations and on our behalf. Hey, Carla, what are you doing around storyboarding? Can you go back to that for a moment? I, I kind of wanted to sort of pick up because you mentioned that. I just, I don't know if I understand how you would use AI for storyboarding. It's an example. So I, I haven't done it personally quite yet, but on a tool like Midjourney, I could see that if I need to storyboard for a video ad, for example, yeah. It might be quicker and much more efficient. If I have a very clear idea in mind, it's going to be quicker to prompt it and get a result rather than designing it and making it. Of course, maybe it's a V1, a very V1 to have just a look and feel of it. But I would imagine it to be quicker rather than have a designer have to to do a 20-page storyboard. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I think a couple of things. One is you are 
I think being really thoughtful about what AI can and can't do. And it's a good insight about what it looks like in a company before a large language model is hosted internally and where you have access. So I think that that's a really good insight about that, how that shift works, because it holds you back from doing things that maybe you want to lean into. I will say your your case of compliance is a really interesting one because there is a pharma company that had reached out to myself and my co-author to see whether or not we can help save their lawyers of that horrible, horrible task of having to read through all the copy and see if it's compliant or not. And you know, our experiment's going to be, can we use a large language model to do that automatically for them and save them you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of thankless work? If you want the machine to be the, the lawyer then, the, the machine's going to read it for compliance. That's right. And it was actually their hmm. lawyer's idea, which is, please save us. We hate this part of our marketing job. We hate, back to your point about get rid of the boring stuff behind market, I think legal will be second most affected, right? Because listen, I, a lot of what an attorney challenges is, well, this is the standard stuff we put into a licensing agreement. I mean, so much that comes up. So I can, if I could, if I could run that across the internet, I could figure it out without having to ask somebody to create it from scratch. Well, and Greg, for my book, the thing that you signed off of uh, when I quoted you was written by <laughs> GPT-4. I, I said, give me Damn a release it. form for a book. Damn it. I tried to <laughs> I tried to read through that. Okay, got it. Tricked again. I know us, an Italian startup that is doing this job, so trying to simplify the work for lawyers. Big area. The, because, be, yeah, exactly. It's huge because searching, just understanding where in the whole Italian law from my previous studies is, is pretty hefty. It's, it's a big job. It's a tough job. So there are a lot of codes, a lot of books. So this helps you get to a point without giving you like the final definitive answer. But it's a great starting point. You mentioned mid-journey using ChatGPT. What else have you seen out there that's interesting? Anything else you're experimenting with? Any vendors? Anybody you brought in-house yet that are higher, you know, you're working with? In-house, not yet, but I believe that there is a great space in text-to-video. I'm very excited to see where the new developments are going to be. At that stage, literally the storyboarding piece is the... I'm just using that example that we used. It's something that's going to take it to a completely different level. I think it was Runway, the one that mm -hmm. we, yep. we, we saw, and it, it's it's really impressive. It's really impressive despite being not able to maybe create a full movie quite yet by itself. And I don't want to go out of topic, but it's interesting to understand also the writer's strikes in Hollywood has ended because they reached on, a, on an agreement on how AI can be used in terms or should be used when it's about the work over there. It's interesting because... Well, Hollywood is the peak of the creativity, as, as we might intend, mm -hmm. if we want to say mm -hmm. this. So they're setting definitely a trend and they're setting a precedent. And I'm curious to understand if also in the rest of the creative universe, advertising, for example, music, something like this, we will get to some regulations for it. Yeah, it is interesting to see how voice actors are handling this because it's okay for one human to imitate another human and to do voice imitation, but uh, several of them are not very comfortable with AI doing that. I am working with a marketer who did pay a human to be able to license her voice 
so that they could then make a synthetic version and they can type in anything they want that voice to say and create the ads and it creates a lot more speed and efficiency. So I think that's probably the model that I would encourage most marketers to pursue, which is to get a human actor, pay them the royalty or, or rights basically to license the voice. Maybe it's a fixed cost, but then you can synthetically use it for X period of time. But I wonder for you, I mean, you know, as I think about where you're at in your journey, it seems like the next steps are to, you know, in-house a large language model to where you can then open up more use cases. It also sounds like there are boring parts of the job where you feel like you could get the first draft done with AI. And then there's a part where humans are elevated and, and given more time to focus on, which is that creative groundbreaking idea. Is that kind of how you're thinking about it or, or would you approach it differently as you think about your, your milestones of how to move this forward? I think exactly as you said, it would be great to have something in-house so that we can work and play in a safe space, get to already up an acceptable level and build, build on from there. What would it take for you to get that approved there? Well, this goes way above my above my pay grade. <laughs> Greg, Greg's offering to make some calls, I think. But this, exactly, I can do that. Yeah, and listen, you know, you you, you got a senior executive on one of my boards. But I I think though, Carla, listen, this is another funny time in the world, right? Same as what happened back in the internet space when the kids ran the world, right? We all jumped up. You know, there was a bunch of us. I was young at the time when the internet came around. Uh, certainly young in the business for the authority and the responsibility and the seniority that I had after that back at Young Rubicam. But so the company needs to count on, you know, young people like you, not the old gray hairs, to go drive the thing. So, I mean, they're not going to make the recommendation. So how would you, you know, do you think you could do that? What would you do? Well, there are two things. One is the cultural bit that needs to have a strong change also. So the full, I cannot be the only one, but the, the whole marketing department and even higher. Also, our CEO is advocating for innovation also in this sense. So everybody is very, has a very big appetite for innovation. And it's quite extraordinary to say because it's, it's very far away from a pharma environment. It's actually very, very exciting. So there needs to be lobbying at those levels. And then we need to deliver some good work, some safe work, considering also like limiting as much as possible the level of hallucinations that technology can, can have right now and deliver some great work in tests. I think that if we are able to deliver a great test and that, that drives results, everybody then is going to, to follow up on it. And that's what I've seen. It's like you have to test something maybe in the background, maybe not advertising too much. But then when it brings results, uh, then everybody wants to jump on the wagon and everybody wants to follow up. And, and then we have to make it available for everyone. So bring a successful test home, I would say. Yeah. How far away do you think you are from doing that? We are in conversations to do some tests here and there. And I don't think we are very far from, we don't think we're very far from it. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's, it depends also what very far means. Is it a quarter? Is it half a year? Yeah. It's not very far from my conception. Might not be the same for the technology because we might yeah. approve something in three, six months uh, that is already obsolete given the speed that technology goes. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting as you describe the need to do a use case and have success I do think if I were to go through the sequence, I'd say, you know, obviously bringing it in house to where you feel that safety parts, you to get rid of that, 
barrier. And then there are some really quick wins around knowledge management. So all the marketing materials that you already have, when someone says, oh, do we have something that says this? Do we have something that says that? You know, vector database. I mean, just type it in and there's no hallucination because it's referencing the documents you already have. So I would encourage you to think about that as a next use case. And then the other one, which really Greg's been a big advocate of at MMA Global, is doing the consortium for AI personalization. Humans in yeah. a loop, you're proving the creative, but then the AI is running the ads. You know, that's a good one. I think that those become the really quick wins. And then on the time-saving side, I think you're absolutely right. This is going to be a time-saver for the stuff that people don't like to do anyway. And being able to look at your human workflow and then the AI side-by-side side and seeing how much time did we reduce, how much cycle time go-to-market did we improve. And it's interesting you're mentioning that, and I agree with you, the successful test shouldn't be brought on a shiny campaign on something super sexy and, and amazing to be watched, but something on very operative that goes in the background. You know, the larger, the richest families in the world, the real tycoons are the ones that maybe are working with iron or like raw materials that you never think about. So is that work in the background that really delivers the speed? Uh, we, we did, actually, Sanofi won the first bronze lion last year with a shiny activation, shiny if you want to call it. It's, we, we went to the gaming space, so quite innovative. We hired some, you know, for, for some gastrointestinal problems. You know, gamers usually have a terrible diet. So we hired their moms. We created their mom's avatar in their games. And the moms were scolding them where the gamers were live playing and saying, ah, oh, you should take this because and it had the right amount of fun, right amount of cringe to be successful. But that is the tip of the iceberg. I think that the real groundwork can deliver a successful test and is the one this saves a lot of time for the legal team, for the regulatory team. And then we can focus on something else and, or just, well, that's my very personal way of thinking, but just not fill the day with a thousand percent productivity, but just live our lives in a bit, bit of a more free way. So the question we always like to ask is what's the most overhyped part of AI today? Those, those posts on LinkedIn or Instagram or TikTok where they say, how AI sees a girl from Colombia or a man from Italy. I mean, so the creation without thinking. So I, I think that AI is not very overhyped. I think it's the way that some people are using it is is like setting a lower bar. So and it's it's cheap, and AI it's actually extraordinary in all its part. I think it's very extraordinary in all its part. It's just that such a usage it doesn't give anything to the world. I don't know if you've seen those carousels, how AI thinks about cultures and people, and it's all based on stereotypes. Indeed, that's a good one. So what's the most underappreciated thing that you've seen in marketing and AI to flip it around? Well, the least appreciated thing is that if you're a creative agency or if you anyone that works in creativity or in marketing ideas, you should use it as a base for what not to do because it works as a base. and. I haven't heard many people doing it. So using AI as a control group that allows you to work to make things better. Okay, last one here. If you could have AI do any part of your job, presumably the part of the job that you like least, what would you have AI do for you if it could do anything? Well, 
do my expenses. My pews. <laughs> I, like <laughs> I actually do think there is an AI solution for that. Actually, that's very funny. Um, my God, you went right to the heart of what we all hate the most. Yeah, it's it's that part of admin that is very, very, very boring. Okay, well, there's there's an invite, Rex. I think there's an invite for somebody to write in or at least put on chat here, like an expense AI-driven solution to eliminate the time and energy of that. I'll pay with my bucks. I'll pay it with my bucks. I don't have to pay. <laughs> you'll, like, you'll do it yourself? Is that? Purchase. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Well, listen, Carl, we can't thank you enough for doing this, my friend. You're a good man. We appreciate you joining You know, MMA's AI Leadership Council or Coalition, I should say. I mean, listen, it's all moving so fast. I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, Rex, I don't know. I didn't. Did we really ask you, Rex? Do you think AI is going to get to the kind of creative level that Carlo wants? I wouldn't bet against it because the fact yeah. that we can teach it jokes yeah. and it can do that means that if we give yeah. it enough good creative examples but i do think you're right though there's something about extrapolating this something that hasn't been done before that that mm -hmm. ai is not inherently designed to do so i think there is some edge that still leaves humanity a role in creative concepting it's very interesting yeah. and gents i can't uh, thank you so enough for for having me today but i would like to ask you a question sure where do you think the most underappreciated? I, I like to to revert to you the question about what's the most underappreciated thing in marketing. So I, I have done a little bit of thinking about it. I don't think we know. Okay. And the way I positioned that is, you know, MMA was originally the Mobile Marketing Association. So I'm deep in the mobile. I pay attention to these kinds of things. And I was on the board of a company, VC, that backed Uber. And I remember the dinner I was sitting at when they explained Uber to me. And at first I was like, how could that really work? And that Uber is a total transformation in transportation today. And in fact, they had invested at a $50 billion valuation. So I said, are you guys nuts? Like, how the hell did you do that? He goes, Greg, the math on that thing is so simple to get to how it's such a big deal. But none of us, when mobile came around, thought mobile. And even Apple didn't know that the App Store was the big win. That's what's so crazy. So I haven't really answered your question and say, I don't think we know yet. I don't think we know. I don't think we've seen it. As cool as Midjourney is and Runway and ChatGPT itself, I don't think we know. Rex, you want to make a recommendation? What do you think it's going to be? I think we should edit out anything I say and just go with what you with your answer. I think that's a good one, which is very humble. I'll be less humble on it and say that if you go through and do workflow across your whole organization end to end, I think the first wave is basically repeating things that humans do that, that waste a lot of time yeah. and that we don't want to do anyway, like expenses, for example. And so I do think that that's kind of the first wave. That's almost always the first wave of electrification or industrialization is that thing. And then you get all these new emergent things that, as Greg said, we hadn't imagined yet right. until everybody was using the technology. I think the big thing that I'm expecting to see is the development of simulacrums. Uh, our virtual versions of ourselves are able to yeah. operate as agents on our behalf. I think we're going to see a shift where that becomes the next new media, and we'll be mediating our relationship through these, these uh, agents at some point. But I think it's a few years off. Super interesting. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this episode of DAM, Decoding AI for Marketing. I'm Rex Briggs. And I'm Greg Stewart. Be sure to listen to more episodes, subscribe, follow, or review your favorite podcast app. Give us a high rating, of course. Thank you all for being here.